Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley, a.k.a. Podcast Boy, and I am not currently joined by David Nash or our guest, Coleswicker, because I am recording this introduction a few days after we recorded the episode you are about to hear. Again, our Suns post-lottery breakdown spectacular went so long that we figured it'd be better to break it up into two episodes. This is part two. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I recommend doing so, not because this won't make sense without it, but because Cole has incredible insight and is well worth your time. This week, we're continuing our discussion of the Suns' options at number six with DeAndre Hunter, Brandon Clark, Nazir Little, and Grant Williams. Then we move on to a Phoenix Suns team-building segment, starting by comparing their young core to the recent lottery prospects, and then moving on to free agency and the way we see the Suns building around the core. And, of course, we don't let Cole leave without sharing more of the insight he's gained on the Suns roster through his time working for the team. Okay, that's it for my introduction. Here's the episode. I hope you all enjoy. All right, so let's move on to the next guy. So we got DeAndre Hunter, Grant Williams, Brandon Clark, and Nasir Little. We're calling this our big wings and bigs, kind of our biggish guys. Cole, would you mind running through kind of where you have each? Not necessarily, you're not asking you, you know, exact placement, but like sort of generally how you feel about them and a brief explanation of why. I mean, I obviously love Brandon Clark. I have similar thoughts to Max on this podcast. I do think he's a little bit more team dependent. I love him with Carl Anthony Towns. I think that's an awesome team fit because Towns has already shown the ability to carry a high level offense. So you can kind of plug Clark around him, have him protect the rim, you know, be an ultra athlete do the instinctual stuff, but I do think that it's going to be dependent on how teams use him. I, again, I hate to keep coming back to this, but if a team uses him, you know, off the bench as a small ball five, he's not going to be as effective and he might just, you know, get pushed down the pecking order. I think if you're really going to get value for him, you got to play him the right way. John Jr. Hunter is, is pretty straightforward to me. I, I wrote like a 41 minute piece. I'm going to spare you reading that. I would not advise it. <laughs> you value your sanity. So 41 minutes, Cole. Yeah, yeah man, I, I do it to myself. I, I don't know. Uh, but a guy who can really switch, like he's got good feet on the ball. I think a lot of guys overvalue his defense. The point you made about d- defense, Max, was spot on as far as you have to view it in several different capacities. Team de- defense, reaction off the ball. You know, switching isn't just on-ball switching. It's not just, you know, a 1-5 pick and roll. You got to f- fluidly switch off the ball. You got to make quick decisions. You got to rotate. And I don't feel great about Hunter's feel level in general, but I do trust his feet and I love his length guarding. If, if you want to like put him on Paul George and say, guard that guy for 38 minutes and just make it tough. Like he's probably my favorite bet in the draft to do that. Mm-hmm. But if you are drafting for upside, I don't think he's a dependent player. I, I feel like he, he'd be best on a team like Philadelphia already has their primaries and just say, go do this. I like DeAndre Hunter there, but I do think he actually has like real NBA skill um, as far as shooting the basketball. I think he's going to be fine off the catch. So I like his translatability, but I'm not 
to the point where like he's top five. I don't. I think he's more of like in a normal draft. He's more of like mid late teens for me, just because I know what he's gonna be. But I, I don't think he has that kind of upside. Like you'll see some sites that have him like four or five. I can't get that high on him. Yeah. So who, who else do we have here? <laughs> I got kind of sidetracked. The rest of the guys are Grant Williams and the Seer Little. Okay. Um, first of all, Nasir Little, great kid. If you heard him interview at the Combine, this is the kind of shit that makes teams fuck up. It's because <laughs> they hear him talk and they're like, yeah, this guy's awesome. right? He has physical tools. He has length. He's got this incredible work ethic. He has no feel for the game. Yeah. And it's unfortunate. I think he's going to shoot better in the pros. But how? what's the best player in the league that doesn't have feel? Is it like Jalen Brown? Mm-hmm. Like th- that's a pretty good player, but I don't know if that's like a great player. I mean, it's fine if he goes to a system like the Spurs, but he's a development guy. You got to feel really good about your development. Grant Williams is kind of the opposite. He's got incredible feel. He speaks like he's the damn president of the United States. Like it's incredible. He's <laughs> like his mom works at NASA. Like he's incredibly intelligent for like a twenty-year-old. He's really young for his class too, which is kind of interesting, but. He's going to be someone who's undervalued in the class. He just played both days of the combine, underachieved because he didn't shoot that well. Mentioned that earlier, and you know he doesn't have high level athleticism. His skill level's really underrated. Great passer, great decision maker, better shot maker than you think. So I have him in the lottery. I think he's a guy that just normally gets pushed down because it's like okay, he doesn't have great positional size, doesn't have great length, not a crazy leaper, mm-hmm. but he just does so many things that contribute to winning, and he's willing to do them. Well, one thing, too, is like you, you want to draft with the star creator guy in most drafts. Like That's kind of what you're looking for, but at the end of the day, look at the playoffs. Like, it, Where are you ranking P.J. Tucker in terms of every player in the playoffs and how far you want him? Like, he's fairly high, and like you would never like, draft him anywhere close to the lottery in a normal draft, but like you know, Houston, he's probably Houston's second best player, third best player in the playoffs. Like, Grant Williams can be P.J. Tucker-ish and maybe even a little bit better on offense. So I totally get it. Yeah, Grant's not going to be the guy that uh, the Suns pick at number six, I wouldn't have thought. But no. going back to the, the first part of this series, uh, you know, I would mention that Grant is probably a candidate the Suns might look to go up from 32 for if they kind of turn over the roster a bit and bring in two new rookies that are playable, you know, almost right away and that are going to give you some things on the court uh, as NBA rookies versus the guys that you... I suppose, let go because they were damaging you. So I love Grant from that perspective. I'll throw to my my four did-you-knows on these four guys quickly, Max. First with Grant Williams. Did you know that his body fat is 5.4% and therefore you called a guy fat who is not fat? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All I have to say about that is, first of all, if it were reversed, I would absolutely make fun of you for it constantly, so I don't don't blame you. Uh, But I will say that I did retract it like within... Three seconds and said he was not fat, but he was stocky. But go on. Next one, Nazir Little. He measured in at six six with a seven one and a quarter wingspan. Quick question at you, Cole. What position does he play in the NBA? I think a team will start him at the three, but he'll swing to the four yep. in, in some lineups. He will. He'll, he won't play the two. It's going to be three four. Yep, and then Hunter, like episode one here, uh, withdrew from the combine and and rumors started swirling there, but we've already touched on that stuff in part one, so we don't need to go with it again. And then I'll swing to Clark, and then we can maybe have a a broader conversation on him, Max. He measured in at 6'9 and a quarter with a 6'9 and a quarter wingspan. Shout out to my uh, grade six teacher who taught me that wingspan is always the same as your height, particularly as (laughs) as a white Caucasian kid, so that Brandon Clark's just showing that that one still holds up but further measurements for him because we saw the wingspan stuff get spoken about quite a bit shout out to Ali on Twitter who pointed this out he kind of got wrongly 
grouped with the small forwards and therefore his vert of 40.5 was number one in the small forward group. His agility of 10.61 was also first. His shuttle of 3.54 was also first. His standing vert of 34 was also first and his three-quarter sprint of 3.28 seconds was third in that grouping. So how about we move to a little more talk on Brandon Clark, Max? You set me up perfectly. <laughs> All right, so David, are you familiar with this, what the Socratic method is? I know Cole is, but you know what the Socratic method is? No, you're going to have to explain that one to both me and the listeners, I'm guessing, Max. Oh, uh, probably most listeners. So in law school, you're taught with the Socratic method, which is basically like a questioning way to elicit information. Mm-hmm. So that's why I ask questions, and I'm trying to get to a point, and I'm trying to help my audience and my, my, my answerers get to the same point. Yep. All right, so we'll start with Cole. Cole. Why does a really long, big wingspan matter for NBA defense? I mean, that's a convoluted question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. But, but, no, but, but think about it in the most simplistic way. Like, why does a wingspan matter exactly? Like, what does it help you do exactly? I mean, it helps you finish at the rim, extend. It helps you protect the rim. It helps you challenge shots. Just on defense, yeah. So on defense only. Let's focus on defense. So it helps you get to what? Like, what, is it, what does it help you do? I'll get to the ball sooner. Sure, get to places. So, David... What else helps you get to places? Uh, your IQ and your other athletic attributes such as vertical and agility, Max. <laughs> so, Cole, if you can get to the place without a wingspan with uh, <laughs> your athletic ability or your IQ, does it really matter if you don't have a wingspan? It doesn't matter nearly as much. <laughs> if you have anticipation, if you can <laughs> get to places and you have his kind of vertical leaping, or I guess in general, we're talking in a general sense of you have a 40-inch vertical, No. All that truly matters here is getting to the spot before the other guy gets to the spot. That's what NBA defense is. That's literally all it is. So if Brandon Clark wasn't as explosive or wasn't smart, I would care about his wingspan because then he wouldn't be able to get to the spot he needs to get to. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he is one of the better anticipators I've seen in a while in college and he explodes out of the air, like, you know what? His six foot eight wingspan, I don't don't give a shit because he's going to get there anyway. That's kind (laughs) of how I feel about Brandon Clark. Here's also the thing, too, is like at the Combine, a lot of people are looking at wingspans without a prior. You know what I mean? Like it's like we're projecting forward. Mm -hmm. Brandon Clark already showed us he could do all this shit with a smaller wingspan. So you know what I mean? He's already – he was a crazy block rate. He was incredible interior defense. He he blocked some shots in the perimeter mirroring guys. He he challenges. He's so quick off the floor. He times jumps really well. He's going to have to do that at the NBA level in space, Mm -hmm. but he's really good good at all that. But what you use wingspan for is mostly for projection if you don't have a prior. We do have a prior with Clark. Yep. Shout out to Ross Homan on Twitter who, uh, when the measurements were coming out, said give me you know one year's worth of film over some measurements on the day of the combine so i very much agree with that point cole i don't know what else to really say about clark we're pretty obsessed with him max and and definitely think that uh he's someone that the sun should be looking at they do appear to be uh interested at least by having an interview with him at the combine but i guess to uh, double up on your point. If he measured out with a seven one seven two wingspan, um, as other guys at six nine are, we probably wouldn't be talking about him as being an option for the Suns at number six. Because if you look at his production in college last year with those measurements on top, he's maybe looking at being a top three or four pick. So he's probably in consensus, even sliding back a little bit further, and and partly because of these negative measurements, so to speak. But probably like Culver here, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with. Clark just from a, a fit standpoint. So I'm 
Uh, interested to get both Cole and, and your thoughts on this. I, I've touched on this on Twitter a little bit, but I just love his fit with Aiton and with the team overall, and, and particularly with Mikhail. I, I just think, um, you know, I've talked about Mikhail being a bit of a safety with Cole privately before, but you kind of have both of those guys as your safety, Cole. You know, I'm referring to Mikhail as the ground safety and, and Clark as the air safety uh, in that in that kind of lineup. But what's your thoughts on those two and I guess the fit around the offensive stars in Booker and Aiton? I love the defensive fit, for sure. I think that you can talk yourself into like a Denver Nuggets type of defensive scheme yep. where you could play Clark in like that Millsap role where he's really roaming and he's protecting the rim from the weak side, making good decisions, and he can cover a shit ton of ground. Like he, his reaction speed, his general speed is just ridiculous. Like he can cover an entire half of the floor. Yep. Mikhail's fantastic at picking off passes with his length and anticipating. So you get eight and... At the point of attack more, shutting off that initial action. That's when he's best mm-hmm. is in space, not as a rim protector. So yep. I think from a defensive vantage point, it's like an ideal fit. It's just the questions for me are more on the other end. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm glad you passed me there because I, I get it. I mean, we don't know he's going to shoot, right? We don't know for sure. It's far, far from certain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reworked his entire jump shot, which David did a great job of showing on Twitter. He had... I don't know if you saw his tweet, Cole. He had uh, Brandon Clark shooting from the exact same spot at San Jose State and in Gonzaga. Yep. Uh, wow, that was that was something. <laughs> <laughs> that changed a lot. He went from a trebuchet to like a normal-looking jump shot. So we'll see where that goes. That, that would help him a lot, obviously. But I think – so I saw Dean Demacus, who I actually liked his, his thread, uh, kind of just hating on this draft. But he compared in that thread, which I thought was wrong, he compared Brandon Clark to Andre Robertson, Mm. which I think is just not right. No. Uh, Brandon Clark has unreal finishing ability, not only because of his athleticism, but also because, as as David's pointed out, he calls him stretch. He's also (laughs) just an incredible finisher from a lot of different angles. He contorts his body very well. Yep. Uh, So Brandon Clark definitely has ability on offense to finish. I compare him sort of John Collins in that way. He's, He's smaller. But is the same kind of like around the basket finisher, in my opinion. I loved his quote from the combine too, where he basically just said, with full confidence, if he's in the paint, uh, he's not going to miss. You no, know, he really doesn't very often, does he? So I understand why. There's a reason why his BPM was second since uh, they recorded it on Sports Reference behind Zion. Yep. Because he doesn't fucking miss. But anyway, so I think I'm higher on offense than most people are. I, I believe in the shot, believe in all that. But the, the other thing I wanted to add in for why uh, I love this guy, and just, just so everyone can hate me on Twitter, because I said this didn't matter with Aiton, <laughs> but uh, Brandon Clark, this is a quote from Dwayne Rankin's article uh, about him today. I've been a Suns fan forever. It would be cool to be able to go back home. That's from, that's from Brandon Clark, who went to a high school that I am currently like 10 miles from. <laughs> what about you, Cole? What do you think about the offensive fit? I know you've probably got some thoughts there. Yeah, I will say that I wrote an article earlier this year about his touch and how you can, if you're buying his shot, you're looking at his finishing ability, his runners. He, he is an incredible finisher on non-dunks. And he's like historically good. We never see guys that use all of these touch shots. And I talked about the shooting progression, like you noted, David, in your tweet, the mechanical progression. I I watched a game of his at San Jose State. I got to halftime or right before halftime and I saw a shot and I was like, fuck. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I, I loved him, and I was like, oh, I love this guy. Like, Gonzaga's getting a great player. I saw a shot, and I was like, I can't do it. Yeah. And then you see him overhaul his shot. And I'll say one thing about him outside of the touch. I agree with you guys. He's a a pretty decent bet to shoot. You can't be sure. And why I like him with Towns again is because I know Towns is like a 40% three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. So I think Aiton's going to extend his range as well, but I'm, I can't say that for sure. So I just think he, like, again, in Minnesota, he gets him a little bit more safety. 
but I think this guy's going to improve. That's the thing is like he's already gotten better. Mm-hmm. Clark, I don't care if he's 22. The guy works his ass off. He's he's working on his handle right now. He has that very very predictable left uh, dribble, and then he spins back to his right. Nobody could stop it. Yeah. So he didn't have to like give you a counter because he's just way more athletic than everybody else, especially in his league in the WCC. So I think he's going to improve. And we can't look at guys that are older and just say they're not going to get better. That's not the way this works. Like there are certain guys that just have that insatiable work ethic and he's really he loves basketball. He's a great kid. I, I think you have to factor all that into this analysis and just say like he's the second most functional athlete in this class. Like hands down to me. It's not even close. Yep, I, I agree with everything that Cole has said there, Max. I'd probably just add, you know, the things that I love about the offensive fit is I love the vertical spacing that he provides. We touched on that uh, in our Clark episode, so I won't go over that too much. And I actually think the the way that he and Aiton can work together, both in the pick and roll with that spacing, uh, hopefully if Aiton becomes a better shooter from outside and gives Clark a little bit of space, there's almost a, a mini Zion. I don't want to get too hot takey here, but there's a mini Zion. Zion sort of comparison when you're thinking about, I guess, our last uh, full episode, Max, where we talked about uh, Zion still being a potential for the Suns before the lottery. Um, (laughs) Not quite to the extent of Zion, but there's a lot of similar things that you would have been able to do with him. And the touch is probably uh, the biggest one there. You know, we talked about Zion Aiton being just a a formidable duo around the the rim and in the paint with their touch. And and Clark's not too far behind from that standpoint. No, yeah. It's like if Zion weren't an X-Man, then he would be Brandon Clark. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) They're very similar in that way. They're just... You know, Zion's the one registration guy. Okay, so I want to use this as a transition to the team building segment with Phoenix because mm-hmm. we've been talking about this draft this whole time and how this draft is, you know, maybe less than spectacular. Yep. I think the best way to illustrate that is to maybe throw out our composite big boards from the 2018 and 2019 combined. Yep. So last year's draft and this year's draft. And we won't consider 2018 players, you know, based on what they've played like in the NBA because it's kind of not fair. Just, just what we thought of them before the draft happened versus what we think of the 2019 players now. So, uh, David, you want to start and then maybe Cole will go and then I'll go? Yeah, I'll throw my 10 out. It'll be pretty hard for people to and you guys to keep up here. So maybe you can just note where your differences are going to be. But I would go Zion 1, Luca, Aiton, Bamba, which is regrettable, but if I go without uh, last year, he has to stick at four for me. Trey would have been five. Obviously, I'm high on Culver, so he would be six for me. Wendell Carter, seven. RJ, eight. Bagley, nine. And it would be a real toss-up between SGA, who you know I was very high on Max, and Ja Morant for that 10th spot. Cool. Yeah, I didn't iron out a specific list, so I'm just going to give you more of like a general area here. So the guy's... I have Luca and Zion in the same tier. I can't decide between them. I've never been able to. So <laughs> I was really high on Luca. I said on this. <laughs> I said stupidly probably on this podcast. That I think he's going to be the best player in the NBA in five years. I think Max, you said you still might. You said Giannis, and I think Giannis is looking pretty good right now. So that's have you seen the score of the game, Cole? No, I have not. <laughs> uh, Milwaukee's winning by thirty points, I think, or twenty-five. I had Milwaukee in five in this one. I'm not fucking around with them anymore. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> Looks good. I had Jaron and Trey as like the second tier guys. I would still have that. Wendell Carter, DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley. Uh, I think in I think I would even take Miles Bridges and Mikhail Bridges over RJ. So really you can I could probably get to nine or ten before the second player in this class, honestly. And that's only at the time of the draft. Like with the benefit of hindsight, I would take 
you know, Shea Alexander over John Morant, I think just with the safety of, you know, the defense and the facilitation and stuff like that. But for me, this kind of just carves out what the value in this class is, is like, I'm very, very heavily invested in 2018 over this class. So I almost don't want to give mine because Cole makes my point better than I do, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, I have Zion tier, Luca tier, JJJ tier, Trey, Aiton, Clark, RJ, Bagley, Bamba, Tier, Culver. So, so really the point here that I want to make is the 2018 draft is just so much better than the 2019 draft. It's really not close. And as we go into the Phoenix team building phase, I want to start with a note of optimism. Because if we are going to consider the 2018 play, I think it's arguable. And I want to hear your thoughts on this, Cole. I think it's arguable that the Suns have three players on their team right now who would go number two in the 2019 draft? I think it's arguable. I I think, I mean, Aiton would unquestionably go two. I would mess around and take Mikhail two as well. Like, I honestly, I just believe so much of him as a role player. And that goes against credo of, you know, getting independent players who can mm-hmm. create and then surrounding them with high-level role players like Mikhail. Mm-hmm. It's just really tough, man. I just, I, I struggle with that more than anything. But yeah, yeah, I definitely aspire to that. And then I imagine Booker's obvious for you. Uh, very obvious. Yes. <laughs> Max, you made me realize two things. I somehow missed Jaron Jackson Jr. in my top 10. So uh, he would probably slot somewhere around the five or six between Trey and Culver. Uh, and I'm definitely Team Luca over Zion if we get the benefit of hindsight. I'm, I'm not moving from that one just yet, but Zion might prove me wrong on that after a season. But that's probably all I need to add on that one. All right, so... That's kind of just how I wanted to characterize this because I, I think that the Suns are in a good spot here. We have three players who we think, all of us think, would be you know highly regarded in this draft. So the question now is how do we build around them? David, you want to you kind of start this? Yeah, I'm going to start off with, a, I guess, a free agency rapid fire seven seconds or less here because I think we need to kind of work out where the bigger free agents are going to go to frame what the Suns might be able to do this offseason and beyond. So... If you're game for an impromptu seven seconds or less, guys, I'll, I'll throw you some free agency questions here. Let's do it. Let's do it. So the first group of guys that I don't think are going to leave, and that is Clay, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, Chris Middleton, and Al Horford. Do either of you have any objections to those guys not leaving their current teams? Al Horford's the only one, like, who knows what the hell happens, but the rest of them I agree, I guess. Uh, me as well. I think right now there's just too many moving parts with Boston, but I, I would bet on him maybe opting out and then signing a long-term deal for a little bit less money. All right, second group here, guys that I think are leaving. Kevin Durant, I'd say the Knicks. Kyrie, I'm still going with the Knicks. Kawhi, I think, is Clippers-bound. And Kemba, I'm going to throw out as maybe a Brooklyn candidate. Do either of you think that any of those guys might stay with their current teams or maybe go elsewhere? I think Kyrie has a lot of options. I think Kyrie could go a lot of places because he's the moodiest man in the world. So who knows how he feels in Jan- on July 1st. Uh, <laughs> and some Suns fans think Phoenix. Listen, I don't think that's going to happen by any means. I think there's an under 5% chance, but... If I wouldn't bet my life against it, because he's that weird of a guy. Yeah. Cole, what about you? I think Kemba, there's a, I think he's going to, he might stay just because of the contract that he's going to get likely from the Hornets. I think they're going to be willing, they're going to have to pay him. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how much another contending team is really going to pay him right now. He just turned 29. That's, that could be a bad contract in the third and fourth years of it. And I I just think that what do the Hornets have to lose at this point? Like they, 
like they have so much albatross on their cap sheet mm-hmm. as far as bad contracts like Batum. I think they might just keep him and they, they're going to pay him more than any other team would. Interesting. All right. Well, that leads us to our third one. And the last two big guys that I'm classing here are Boogie and D'Angelo Russell. Cole, I'll throw back to you. What are your predictions for those two as far as a team they might go to in the offseason? Yeah, it's a really fascinating question. How many teams really need point guards that can really sign D'Angelo? I think I think he stays. Honestly, I think that he developed in Brooklyn. I think he's kind of like the embodiment of what they're trying to sell. Younger prospects come here, play for Kenny Atkinson, improve. Yep. And he you know, reached all-star status. So I think they're at least going to sign him. Maybe they trade him later. And Boogie, I just have no effing idea, man. I have no idea. Like That <laughs> could go so many different ways. Yeah, He could go to Dallas, for example, and be like a low-minutes guy. I think it's going to be a one-year deal. I just have no idea where it's going to be. Max? Oh, I... I... <laughs> You're going to get me to try to predict where Boogie's going to go. I agree with Cole. He's like impossible to predict. <laughs> D'Angelo, that's an interesting one. I mean, it totally depends on how they do in free agency, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, if some of these rumors are correct and they're going to get Kyrie or, or Jimmy Butler or whoever, maybe he goes. But, you know, he could stay with Jimmy Butler too. Um, if I had to, you know, bet my life on it, I think I bet he stays like Cole does. But I would not feel confident about it. Yep, and your answers have kind of perfectly set us up here for, you know, look at Phoenix Suns, you know, in the short term, you know, they, you know, we've touched on it in these episodes already, kind of wanting the best roster they can get for the 1920 season and, and making some progress, but also having one eye on the future and how to, you know, properly build around the combo of Booker, Ayton, and probably Mikhail here. So my main concern, guys, is, you know, the pressure of losing again and, and kind of starting again this season, and that may be rushing some poor decisions here. So kind of to run over a little recap, currently I project that we'll have about $10 million in space on July 1 to spend. If you get rid of the sixth pick and Ubre and Holmes, you can kind of get up to about $24.4 million. And then if you wave and stretch Johnson, you can get up to about 37.3. The reason I kind of mention those combination of things is you don't, or you're not reliant on any other team to do those things to get up to around max level cap space. But I'm a little bit worried, as we all seem to agree, there's not going to be much movement with the bigger guys. I'm worried that the Suns might waste a little bit of time here at the start of free agency, you know, chasing the bigger fish instead of just filling out some nice pieces. What are you, what's your thoughts on that, Max? I, I think it's really, really interesting because I think the best targets the Suns have, you know, beyond the guys who aren't actually going to come here, are restricted free agent point guards. Yeah. I think that Tyus Jones is super interesting. Tomas Sadoransky is super interesting. Uh, DeLon Wright even is very interesting and maybe made even more so by the fact that Memphis may be less willing to uh, bring him on because of what they've uh, done in the lottery here. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that and you never want to have your hopes tied up in restricted free agency, that's like the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. But uh, the, but there is a kind of an overabundance of supply, which is nice. I didn't even mention Terry Rozier, which goddamn. <laughs> I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> Man, I, I think that they need to try to use their intel, use whatever they can to try to figure out which one of those guys is the most gettable, mm-hmm. uh, and then focus on on them. Because my favorite guys, unfortunately, in this in this free agency class for them are those restricted free agent point guards. Yeah, Cole, I'm going to throw a different question to you on the back of that. You've already over these episodes kind of given us a different perspective as a you know not a Suns fan who uh, is sick of the losing. So more longer term. You know, you've touched on a little bit through the segments here, but what would kind of be your ultimate plan to build around that core of Booker, 
Aiton and Mikhail. What are some of the dangers here that we might fall into with the pressure of, of adding talent right away? And kind of if you were running the show uh, and making those decisions, what would be the more longer term decisions you'd look to make with, with this team? I would definitely not look to endanger the long-term perspective. You have to keep in mind the ultimate goal long-term is to build around Booker, Aiton, Mikhail, but you also have to find out if these guys are good enough, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you have to marry that with short-term getting more adults and more basketball players in the building. I think that's key. So like if Ricky Rubio would come there for, I don't think he's like a great fit necessarily because of his shooting, Mm -hmm. but he's at least a guy who knows how to play basketball. He knows how to make high-level decisions and he could be a holdover type. You know what I mean? Like getting players like that who are just... They're basketball players and surrounding Mm -hmm. the the young guys with guys who can capably function in those settings. Like you can't just have five rookies on the floor. That's just not tenable. Like that's gonna drive Devin Booker crazy. You have to get some guys in there that know how to play. And you have to do so, I think, without sacrificing uh, long-term flexibility and, and it's really hard yeah but you have to, but you have to really my key thing is you really have to find out what you have with these guys mm-hmm. like I'm not yeah like the way I approach it and this is not the way the franchise is going to approach it because teams always operate this way they when you take guys and they're pretty good you just completely attach yourself to them like Aiton's going to get a max contract I don't even care what he does the rest of his rookie contract he already did there's only been one guy who hasn't and that's Anthony Bennett and we know how that went <laughs> obviously <laughs> you know what I mean so like you have to find out what Aiton can do you have to find out can he improve as a rim protector? But you have to put him in position to succeed. And I think that's the key. You have to get those kinds of players in the building. I think last year, I mean, what was the intent? It was to get Trevor Ariza. He's supposed to be this veteran leader, and it didn't work out. Like I, I watched all those games at the beginning of the season when Cannon was starting at point guard and Ryan Anderson was starting. It's tough. It's tough to cultivate a winning environment if you don't have that kind of fuck you mentality on a nightly basis. You have to try, yeah. and you have to get that instilled in the players. So if this was a simple question, I would probably answer it in like five seconds, but it's not. You just have to, <laughs> you have to know these guys' character. I think that you have to get guys that are good locker room guys who also demand respect on the floor that's why i think like maybe a ricky rubio he fills a position of need and he also he will have sway in the locker room you know maybe he he makes devin booker more optimistic on the future so it's tough you just successfully made me sad about Igor by mentioning <laughs> Rubio a, a few times there, Cole. So yeah. <laughs> congratulations on that one. I have to real quick ask Cole this. Well, first of all, I have to correct Cole. He said Isaiah Cannon started at point guard. It was actually pointless guard. Uh, <laughs> I almost said it too. <laughs> <laughs> I have to jump in and ask you about Aiton, obviously, because you watched a lot of Suns. Um, personally, I got higher on him throughout the season. I mean, I don't think he's like a future superstar for sure or anything like that at all. But I was happy to see him at least improve a little bit on defense, I thought, which I never saw really anything from him. Yep. Uh, do you agree with that? Like, what were you on Aiton? Because you almost unfairly were categorized as an Aiton hater. I think you were an Aiton liker, just not liking as much as yep. the rest of that 2018 trap. <laughs> how, how do you feel about him throughout the season? I think he definitely improved. I think the people that say he's the worst defensive player in the league, you didn't watch enough his progression and pick and roll. He, he did. I thought he dived off a little bit at the very end. Like the Utah game comes to mind. I, I didn't think he was very good in that game. And I think a lot of that's situational. So I think overall, you, you did see the requisite progressions enough to make you at least somewhat comfortable that he might improve to a reasonable degree. I don't know if he's ever going to be an elite level rim protector. I mean, he allowed 64% at the rim this year, which is like, if you look at that historically for rookie bigs, it's on the very high end. And can he improve upon that? Does he improve upon reactions? He's a really interesting test case for me. But I think my overarching takeaway with him 
is you guys have done a really good job of talking about this on the podcast, but it's I don't think he's a tone setter. Yeah. I don't think he changes. He's not Zion where he comes in and he's going to play hard every single possession and he's a star caliber player. You know what I mean? Like he's more of like he adapts to his surroundings. Like that Milwaukee game when he was guarding Giannis and he was involved. Yeah. That was one of his best games. I thought his best game of the entire season was still the Nets game in December. I thought, if you want to watch Aiton and what he could be, Watch that game. I want him to play more physical. Mm-hmm. I think he's more finesse than he is physical. He could be so dominant. He could be so much more punishing to smaller players. And we just don't see that consistently. I mean, I, I follow a lot of Suns guys, and th- there's one play that always stands out. I can't remember what his name is on Twitter, but he tweeted this. Like, Aiton just legitimately pushed Middleton, and he was like, this is the highlight of the season for me. <laughs> like, that should tell you something. You know what I mean? So I don't, I'm not as down on him as some people are. It was always I liked other prospects more than him. There's some reason for optimism, but more for me personally, I really want to see if he can turn these corners defensively. I really want to see if he can improve enough to be like a DeAndre Jordan kind of defender in his prime, who I thought his decision-making was always kind of overrated. But if you can get to that level, Aiton is just – his touch around the basket's incredible. Mm Mm-hmm. There's just so many moving parts. And the last thing I'll say from this damn filibuster is that it just goes to kind of what you think about prospects. Do you view the upside as in you have steps one, two, and three to get to that? So Aiden has to dribble. He has to shoot. He has to play defense. You, you can view that as upside. Like there's so much area for improvement. Or you can be more pessimistic and say he has to do probably two of these three things to really get to that level that a lot of people thought he was. So that just comes down to what your output is and what your outlook is on the draft. I'm a little bit more pessimistic, but I'm very, very curious to find out. I mean, that is just, that's the best summary I've heard of Aiton. Um, I agree with entirely all of it. And I don't, I don't mean to get uh, sad here or pessimistic here, but man, that's kind of, not only did I want to win the lottery because I wanted Zion Williams on my team, oh, man. but good God, could you imagine what Zion would have done for DeAndre Ayton? Yeah. Oh man. And I think, you know, Cole Incredible. hit the nail on the head there with him not being a tone setter. And you and I have spoken about this a bit, Max, you know, giving him those game to game tasks, whether it's Giannis or LeBron or, you know, just m- making a challenge to him. I think Igor did an okay job in certain situations of challenging him before games. And that's where we got the best out of him. Um, I think he even did it in that Brooklyn game off the top of my head, Cole, because it was yep. directly after the three overtime Wizards game and, and Igor kind of mentioned that they were going to need him. So I think he's responded well to those things. And that's how you tap into that mentally, at least for the first couple of seasons of his career but i'll throw to a few more rapid fire seven seconds or less style questions here guys before we can probably wrap things up i'll throw this one to both of you but looking at those realistic outcomes that i talked about in terms of cap space and things let's say they haven't addressed point guard after the draft or any draft night trades max i'll go with you first so they have around 10 million to spend uh, I'll give you a group of four guys here. Corey Joseph, Patrick Beverly, Tyus Jones, and DeLon Wright. If the contract for all of them is exactly the same, let's say three years, $30 million, who's your choice? And I'm not factoring the fact that registered free agency sucks. I, I'm, just, I'm just getting them. Correct. Tyus Jones, probably. I think he has the most upside uh, in a small role. He's just shown a lot. I think he's really good. I think he'd be better if he played, if he had a team that kind of you know, believe in him more, let him showcase. But uh, yeah. Beverly is the is the other guy for me. If, if Beverly didn't, if he didn't scare me from like an age slash injury yeah. perspective, it might be him. But uh, for me, it's Tyus Jones. Cole? For me, it's Beverly. I just think you know what you're getting with him. And he's one of the culture guys where he's just going to play hard. Like that's the Clippers, man. That's why they achieved so much this year is because they just had guys that played hard every night. Montres Harrell, Patrick Beverly. Those guys just leave it out on the floor. And I think the ancillary effects, the rub off on something like Aiton, on maybe Booker at times, is probably worth the cost 
and the risk of a longer term contract to an older player. Yeah, and I saw Justin Russell on Twitter, who's a very smart Clippers fan, kind of lay out their cap situation. I think he had them hopefully getting Beverly for around $8 million. So, you know, the $10 million mark is probably what it might take and, and maybe an extra year to get someone like Patrick Beverly over to the Suns. Uh, Max, I'm going to throw this question directly at you because you're a little bit more tied to Kelly Oubre, but say they've addressed the point guard situation this time, probably through a draft night trade, because I think even if they draft a point guard, they should still be signing another one. But we're looking at the power forward position now. So they have around that $10 million. The group before here is Thad Young, Jermichael Green, Aminu, and Miritich. But the caveat is... For Thad Young or Miritich, you have to either sacrifice Ubre and get his extra nine million, or sacrifice a future first to dump someone like TJ Warren to get a little bit of money to pay those two guys. Which out of the four would you go with for power forward? Wow, that's really interesting. So I throw Thad Young out of this. It's Miritich or the other guys, and it really comes down to are you willing to sacrifice Ubre for Miritich? Yep. I think I am. I mean, as much as I love Ubre and God, I love the Valley Boys thing. <laughs> I love the whole energy he brings. I love a lot about Ubre. He was literally my favorite thing about watching the Suns last year. If you're not going to get a guy like Zion next to Aiden, at least you're going to get like the perfect fit. And I really think Miritich is. He is a fantastic shooter. Uh, he can actually do a little more things in offense. And then also, d- defensively, he's underrated. He's good on that end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just think he's kind of exactly what you want next to Aiden. So for me, it's just... As much as you hate to say goodbye to Ubre, who's been a fantastic culture guy, Miritich is just, he's the better fit. Yep. And Cole, uh, we've talked about needing leadership, which you touched on with Beverly there, but we also need shooting with this roster. So say they do let Ubre's cap hold go and that frees up around $9 million, as I said. Uh, I looked at some options. The group of four here is Jeremy Lamb, Wes Matthews, Danny Green, and Terrence Ross. If you had $9 million for one of those guys to add to the Suns, which one would you go with? Danny Green. I just think he's the best player of that group. Yeah, I agree. And again, very good culture guy. He's been around great organizations. He knows how to win. I would bring him in because I just... A, I think he's the best player, and B, I think the ancillary effects. I don't know about him personally as far as how he interacts with teammates, but there's a reason that most of the teams he's on are good. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Max, I'm not sure if you want to jump in for a bonus answer there or not. No, I actually uh, I agree with you guys. I'd rather hear Cole's answer on the question that you asked me. Okay, let's do that. Cole, uh, do you need me to outline it again, or have you got a, an answer on that one? Just the last two guys. I got Thad and Miritich. What were the other two? Uh, Jermichael Green and Aminu. Um, oh, jeez. Which you can just have for the $10 million. You don't have to sacrifice a first or Ubre for either of those guys. So I think I would do Aminu, just because he puts them in better positions to succeed defensively. I think Aminu's biggest issues are in the playoffs when teams don't guard him. But short term, you're just trying to make the playoffs. Yes. So I don't think Miritich's shooting is necessarily like a huge move piece. And I wouldn't move extra assets to sign Miritich. So I think Aminu is my answer. Yeah. And you touched on something there. I saw some a Suns fan on Twitter. I can't remember who it was. And I wish we could have shouted out who it was from that Milwaukee comment that you made before. I can't remember who that is either, Cole. But maybe that'll come to us later. But yeah, I think you know, someone was saying Amino's been shown up 
in the, the latter rounds of the playoffs, but the Suns are nowhere near the latter rounds of the playoffs, so I'm taking regular season <laughs> Aminu to add to this team uh, for sure and, and not looking too much into that shooting weakness from uh, late in the playoffs. But that's it, Max. We've kind of touched over the offseason re- from a realistic standpoint and quite a few good answers there, I think. And, and Cole's, we know Cole watches the Suns a lot, so no surprise that he has a lot of good and uh, similar thoughts in terms of what the Suns should be doing this offseason. Yeah, no, this is really fun. I'm, I'm just going to hit with Cole with uh, one last thing, and then we'll end this podcast. Cole, <laughs> Melton or Okobo? That's been sort of a thing that's been fought over a little bit on Suns Twitter. Which one of those guys would you keep going forward? Melton. I just believe in the kid. Like, I believe in the instincts. I, I posted that tweet where he, like, signaled to Aiton a screen. He set a moving screen in transition to get Aiton a free run at the hoop. I just think that he's so... <laughs> He's so smart, and I think like in the right role, if he's a tertiary ball handler, you don't want him like creating. He's not an on-ball guy, really. He's a secondary tertiary guy, but he, he shot pretty well on catch-and-shoots this year, and the defense is really what does it for me. He just plays bigger than his size, better than almost anyone I've seen that's 6'3". Mm-hmm. Okobo, I like. He's more of a six-man type to me. He's a scorer. I, I think I look, if he if Melton had his pull-up game, this would be a very easy decision. Yeah. I, I like Okobo, but I think I would roll the dice on Melton just because I value his defense. I think if he makes the catch-and-shoot three, he can actually guard some guys in the playoffs. He's he's the next Pat Bev, and uh, I love that clip that Cole put up on Twitter. And uh, I love the question from you, Max, because I think all the listeners uh, that are tuning into that one should ask the question of themselves because I am very doubtful that both of them will be on the roster to start next season. It would actually be kind of shocking. Yep. All right, that's it. Cole, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. We probably will turn this into two episodes. Uh, Cole, go ahead and uh, promote anything you want. What do you got? Um, as usual, at thestepian.com. Big fan on uh, Sun's Reddit, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, got a great following, but uh, I'm sure that still go over well. Uh, so stepian.com, uh, we, I do a podcast, Game Theory, with Sam Vecini. I jump on that once a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter during the draft. Do some podcasts. We'll do some radio hits. So if you want to learn more about prospects, you know, follow me on Twitter at Coles Wicker. And uh, this has been fun, guys. Uh, always appreciate coming on with you. Cole, real quick, do you have anything to say to all the Suns fans who thought you were an idiot for saying Luka Doncic was the best player in last year's draft? <laughs> I, I, have, I have a saying. It's any man who says I am the king is no true king. So I don't need to – I mean, that's obviously a Tywin quote. I, I don't need to really say things. I like, kind of let action speak for themselves. I made a ton of mistakes in the past with prospects, and I thought last year went pretty well overall. So, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's all I can really say about it. Humble until the end. For us, please rate, review, and subscribe. We always appreciate it. David, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks again to Cole. This has been a lot of fun. This is definitely going to be a two-parter, I imagine, and uh, we'll take a little break after that, but plenty of draft stuff that we've covered. Now, Max and people can go back and listen to our last few with several guests if they are tuning in for the first time or the first time in a while. So I'm looking forward to coming back with probably some mock draft and, and draft prediction stuff when it's right on our doorstep, Max. Yeah, we have some real-life stuff coming up, which is why we wanted to have an extra long one here with a great guest to split up into two. But uh, after that, we'll be back with, like you said, a mock draft. So look forward to that. Thanks, guys.